University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. For a time uh, earlier in my life, I worked in the hospitality industry as a bellman at a couple different fancy hotels. Um, I worked for the first time at the Inn at Virginia Tech where I went to college when I was a junior and a senior. And I worked for a season at the Furnace Creek Inn in Death Valley, California, serving as both a bellman and a valet for vacationers and quite a few fancy rich people from Los Angeles which was an adventure in itself. Now, at these hotels, there's always a sense of formality, of course. Guests are paying hundreds of dollars, not just for a room to stay in, but for the service of being cared for and catered to. It's a transactional relationship that comes with certain high expectations of luxury and professionalism which makes perfect sense when you think about it. I mean, if I were paying $450 a night for a room, I'd expect some amenities as well. When we come to the Bible, though, hospitality looks very different. Think of Jesus showing hospitality to the lowest members of society, entering into a relationship with them that was very much not transactional, because those low members of, of society often had nothing to transact. Jesus' hospitality involved reaching out to those that could not repay him. In some ways, this idea shows up elsewhere in the Bible, such as in our story today from Joshua 2, with Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, and two Israelite spies. It's a strange passage. Not just for us, but I think it was likely strange for the ancient people who were hearing this story for the first time. As soon as you bring a prostitute into the mix, things are naturally going to get a little uncomfortable. But some context might be helpful. The beginning of the book of Joshua focuses on the transition of leadership from Moses, who had led Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness, then to Joshua, who was taking the reins of continuing to lead this community of wanderers to something a little more stable. At least that was the hope. And we should know at this point in history that Israel would not have been considered much of a military power. They were, in fact, quite vulnerable and weak in comparison to some of their neighboring nations. And so in a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, what we see is these people imagining what it would be like to finally have a stable nation of their own, to be able to conquer their enemies and live without fear. All questions of impending genocide and violent conquest aside, which is a troubling part about much of the Old Testament, these kinds of imaginings are understandable for a people who have simply been a wandering band of desert dwellers for several generations. 
So this brings us to Joshua chapter 2, as Joshua, the up-and-coming military leader, decides to send spies into one of their enemy's cities, named Jericho, in preparation for a conquest. So I invite you to hear this story, these perhaps strange words of Holy Scripture. Joshua, Nun's son, secretly sent two men as spies from Shittim, and he said, Go, look over the land, especially Jericho. And they set out, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they bedded down there. Someone told the king of Jericho, men from the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, send out the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, because they have come to spy on the entire land. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, of course the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. The men left when it was time to close the gate at dark, but I don't know where the men went. Hurry, chase after them, you might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the flax stalks that she had laid out on the roof. The men from Jericho chased after them in the direction of the Jordan up to the fords. As soon as those chasing them went out, the gate was shut behind them. Before the spies bedded down, Rahab went up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. The entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below, and I have been loyal to you. Give me a good sign of faith. Spare the lives of my mother my father, brothers, and sisters, along with everything they own, rescue us from death. And so the men said to her, We swear by our own lives to secure yours. If you don't reveal our mission, we will deal loyally and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. I don't know about you, but I really love spy movies. There's obviously the suave James Bond, who seems to be able to wiggle himself out of any situation. My favorite in recent years, though, I guess it's not that recent anymore, are the Jason Bourne movies. A bit more of a raw take on an undercover operative. Jason Bourne is recruited by the CIA as an assassin, but along the way he decides that he no longer wants to be a tool of the American empire, and so he tries to get out. Easier said than done, but as the best of the best, he's able to take down virtually anyone that stands in his way. Now, our two spies in Joshua, by contrast, about as far removed from Jason Bourne as you can get. In just the second verse of the story, we read this, someone told the king of Jericho, men from the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. Now the one thing you're supposed to do as a spy, you have one job, is to stay hidden. But it seems that they waltz into Jericho so loudly that everyone knows about it immediately. Not just that, but the way they were found out is a little bit embarrassing. 
They're discovered in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Before we make excuses for these two less than stellar operatives, it's quite ambiguous why they chose a prostitute's house. I said this story is strange. It's very possible that they indeed went to the house of a prostitute for the reason that anyone would go to the house of a prostitute. And we might bristle at the idea of Holy Scripture involving two men paying for the services of a sex worker. That's possible. Some say that a brothel would be a great place for spies to stay hidden, and so that's why they went there. Also possible. The point is, we just don't know. And I would argue that if the writer of Joshua wanted us to think that these two men were upstanding and would never do what the text might imply, then they might have made that abundantly clear. But they just kind of leave it. The story continues, though. And to summarize quite a bit, Rahab decides to hide these two spies from her own government, risking her life in the process, eventually finding help for herself and her family in return when the rest of the city is utterly laid to waste. So we have a wandering band of desert-dwelling Israelites seeking a stable home who, without any instruction from God, by the way, an important part of the story, they send spies into enemy territory to prepare for a genocide of their enemy. The first thing the two spies do is visit a foreign prostitute, and they are immediately discovered, and then they are saved by their enemy. Perhaps you can begin to see why the word strange comes to mind with this story. We've talked about this before, but hospitality is a big deal for these ancient people in a culture that was based on honor and shame. This might be one Uh, Sunday especially to point out that there are cultures around the world today, in particular some South Asian, Eastern Asian countries that still operate under this kind of system, and we could learn a lot about the Bible from them. Rahab, though, of course, is seen throughout the, the rest of Israel's history as honorable, as a hero for risking herself to save these two buffoonish spies who themselves pass on out of knowledge and remain nameless. Now, they show this hospitality to Rahab in return, of course, but the focus of the story is on her, who you might remember is named in the Gospel of Matthew as a great, 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 etc., etc., grandmother of Jesus. The book of Hebrews later says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute wasn't killed with the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. In fact, the New Testament only mentions Joshua twice, but Rahab three times. That should tell us something. It would seem that to welcome God's people and to show hospitality to them grants one quite a bit of merit in the annals of biblical history. Let's be real for just a minute. Take a step back from the story. How strange and absurd is it, really, to be 
alive in this universe, bumbling through existence with all of life's joys and sorrows, successes and failures and mistakes and graces. One of the reasons that I love these odd stories from the Old Testament is that they have a way of kind of cutting through the BS a little bit that we put up around ourselves, the illusions that we have about how things are, about who God might be, the categories that we might place each other in. Our holy scriptures here tell us that a prostitute saved the day, and they don't seem to bat an eye at that. If nothing else, maybe this text can help us let go of some of our misplaced propriety or the false sense of security we might have in things being normal, whatever normal might be. In a couple of chapters, the walls of Jericho will come tumbling down, as the old song says. Perhaps we can allow God to crumble our own walls of self-deception and thinking that we might somehow be above the strangeness of human existence. There often seem to be larger powers at play around us in the world. But amidst these seemingly larger powers and forces that might be out of our control, each of us are left in the mess together. Prostitutes and spies alike. It might be more comfortable at times to think that we can remove ourselves from the rawness of real human existence in the world, but it's just an illusion. And at the bedrock of that realization, we might find a need for hospitality, since we're all in this together. A spy is not above helping a prostitute, and a prostitute is not powerless to help a spy. Both are needed, both are valued, both are honored in this story. To give and receive hospitality might be part of working out our own salvation, as Paul would later say. And maybe especially with those who seem a little too strange for us, too outside of our normal comfort zones. Let's also remember, though, that the God of these stories, maybe especially of this story today, is a strange God. <laughs> this is a God who latches on to a wandering tribe of nomads even though they never seem to understand that gift that they've been given. God continues to embrace them in all their strangeness. To bring this home, Rahab is a Canaanite, or to put it more simply in the language of the Old Testament, she's an outsider, a not one of us for those first hearing this story, a member of another nation, and it seems that she is included in the genealogy of Israel's Savior to show that Jesus' ministry was for all people, not just Israel. And if I could be frank for just a moment, as followers of that Jesus, that means that our ministry here at UBC is for all, not just the people that are like us or the ones that don't make us uncomfortable or the ones who we agree with on most things. And as your minister for internationals here at this church, 
I feel compelled to say on this World Communion Sunday especially, what an incredible and unique opportunity we have here at this church, at University Baptist Church, to serve and to minister to and to welcome with open arms non-Americans, folks from all over the world, from all different types of backgrounds. And it may seem to many of you that this is just what you do, what you've done for decades, and that it's not that big of a deal. But believe me, when I came here four years ago, it was striking to me. That's not to say that UBC is better than other churches. In fact, there are plenty of times where we don't get it right. But for whatever reason, God seems to be molding us into a safe space for those who are different from who we have been historically as mostly Southern Americans. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I invite you to hear this. It seems to be that God has blessed us here with the opportunity to do something powerful and prophetic through welcoming and integrating into our church people from all over the globe. That isn't normal. Believe me, it doesn't just happen. It's strange. It's strange because in many places, maybe most places in our world, it's more normal to see people divided up, perhaps by race or nationality or whatever other category we decide. It's a strange sort of hospitality still because we haven't yet fully arrived as a human community. I'd like to challenge us this morning, especially, again, on World Communion Sunday, with making the strange not strange. Let's continue to embrace all people so fully and to let them embrace us so fully that eventually it is just normal, and we can't imagine it any other way. But to get there, we might first have to lean into some uncomfortable things. The thing about strange hospitality is it means embracing the stranger among us and working to turn strangers into friends. I wonder if we might be willing to embrace even more fully that gift that we have been given here. Quite frankly, I think that's the kind of thing that could change the world if we did. So may each of us this morning receive this gift, this strange story that we inherit of hospitality. And may we in turn extend that gift to others. Amen.